What's up with you and the donkey? I love it, man. This is the second time. You make that funky little noise. Wait, stop. This is the second time in our recording session today you mentioned donkeys. What's up with that? I just think they're crazy. They no, made why a you worse got donkey horse. brain? What? Why you got donkey brain? Why are you on the don? Why? Why are you donkey? I'm just thinking about. Man. Are you trying to get me to say it? I'm saying, what video of donkeys were you looking at before you came here? You don't even want to know. Or who Mr. were you talking Feet. to about donkeys with last night? Last night? Why does this have to be an evening night? What is, what is this? I don't know, because you there? hang out with people, and then you go to sleep, and then you come here. <laughs> and so about? I'm, I feel like Last you, night I was talking about to, You got, you know, donkey on the brain, and I want to know where it's I coming from. I have a personal thing involving a donkey that happened to me recently, and I don't know if it's super appropriate for the podcast, uh, but you are about to witness a future viral star's rise to fame. Welcome to the barnyard, motherfuckers. My name is Brace Belden. Was it a chicken? That's a pig. Uh huh. Look, we, I'm good at this. <laughs> <laughs> like a fucking baby. Uh, what is that? What the f- you, you know what that is, right? No. You know what I'm hitting with the... That's yeah. your cow? That's a fucking moo. They don't say moo. They go... I, um, it's a realistic cow. Cows are, those are my guys. I l- fucking love cows. Like, I'm crazy. I fucking, You love cows? Yeah. Those big faces. They have the biggest faces. Yeah, They're so cute. I love them so much. What it's other, really hard for me to eat beef. What are the little guys they got on the farm? That's the crow with the two lives in the barn. You're kind of scarecrow-esque. Me? My name is Liz. So you already skinny. said your name. You're scarecrow-esque because you're so skinny. I'm not acknowledging that. <laughs> we are joined, of course, by... <laughs> Professor Young Chomsky. The bull. <laughs> and this is Tronon. Welcome to the farm. The funny farm. The fucking farm. Hello, what? everyone. You know, I was reading about farms earlier, actually. What were you reading about them? Uh, about all this shit going down in France. The oh. farm protests. Yeah. European farmers, they're kind of, they, they're, it's, I'm hearing about them all the time. Well, it's a pretty fucking big deal. What's going on? What are they doing? The the in France? Yeah. Well, they're starting to blockade Paris after negotiations with the prime minister tanked. The uh-huh. new prime minister, uh-huh. a very young new prime minister. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, it's been like weeks and weeks of different blockades in the south. But now they've moved up to Paris in the north, and they're they're blockading the entrance to Paris. Um, they've been destroying imports. Mm-hmm. It's all about price pressures and regulation. European farmers. And, yeah, the EU is like currently negotiating. It's actually really interesting. The EU is currently negotiating new free market imports. Mm-hmm. So they would be bringing in a bunch of stuff from South America, but the, they wouldn't be holding the South American farmers to the same regulations that EU farmers are held to, including a bunch this is of a classic environmental. EU, classic EU. Classic. Conundrum. And so that, along with other price pressures, inflation going insane. And um, 
you know, changes in consumer tastes. There's just a lot of shit happening with farmers. You know, it, what an app name for an organization. EU. Yeah. <laughs> it sticks. Um, yeah. I think that there should be, I think that Europe should join Asia. Mm, interesting. I think. I think a little Eurasia? Become, no, I think it should just all be Asia. Eurasia okay. has weird connotations to me. It does. Kind of everybody who starts talking about Eurasia turns out to be a freak. You know I think about? that if you could make if you make Europe Asia that doesn't include England. Well, of course not. England's Anglo. Yeah, gotta be. That's the Atlantic. We're, it's and, the Anglo Americans, which, by the way, should yeah. be American Anglo's. I know it doesn't sound as good, but who's the big dog? <laughs> it's another barnyard motherfucker, Rishi Sunak. I'd love to see Joe Biden ride on him like a little fucking like a mule. Yeah, well, Sunak would let him do it. Is Sunak short? He's got to be like five. I don't six, think he, or is, he is really actually. Tall? He's I very see tall. Him being weird, tall, like a like a. I thought he was very tall. Like a, one of these alternative but still popular depictions of space aliens. Five seven. Five, seven? Oh, that's so short. fucking huge. He looks tall because he wears the short suits. Is interesting. He's, if he wears short, short suits, suit? what do you mean short like suits? Like early two thousand Tom Brown style. Oh. Suits, so it looks like he's a tall guy. What? Tiny suit. Yeah. Little, you can, so if I wore like a, a tank top. That's a little Top Shop gambit from, from 15 years ago. If I wore a tank top that was really tight on me mm-hmm. and like low rise jeans, people would think I'm like 5'5". Five five. I don't know, but I think you should try it. I could do that. I could, I yeah, could, dress, you could do a lot the of The king things. of Thailand, if I dress like him, this shit would be over. What I, shit? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but something would end, I think, and then something crazy would start. But yeah, that's a good question. I just think that I've never worn a tank top in a spaghetti strap style before. Oh, like a camisole? Mm, that's a word that I'm not sure of the meaning of, so I don't feel comfortable saying yes. Mm, interesting. I've never worn a camisole. I'll say that. What about a white ribbed tank top with thicker straps and a what scoop mean neck? Ribbed. Ribbed fabric. Ribbed fabric. Well, I love that you. I love. I love when I say something that's like perfectly normal that everyone knows what it is, and you look and talk to me like I've just spoken like Swahili. Are you talking about the lines on wife beaters? Yes. Oh, there's a corduroys. What? That's a version of a corduroy. No, it's a corduroy means stripe. No. To me, in my shorthand in my brain, that's a Swahili. I don't know that. I didn't know that they made. Tank tops that didn't have that, so I guess that's what tank well, tops. Well, for a while, they shouldn't because I think all tank tops are better ribbed. Ribbed for her pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am about to get on a plane. Where are you going? I'm going to Chicago for hot dogs. For, yep. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just suck on them motherfuckers. You until... don't suck on a hot dog. What? <laughs> <laughs> you wait. No. 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 You, okay. you, gotta, you gotta stop doing that. I really, I'm 34, Liz. This is, I'm You know what late. the best hot dog Can't is? I'm gonna say trips. it and everyone's gonna get mad. What? Which I love saying things that make the people angry. She's about to say tofu it's pup. Great for engagement. Mm-hmm. I had, and I have been going to a bunch of different New Jersey hot dog places, as you all know. I didn't know that, but what? it's not reflected in your figure. I bet hot dog Johnny's. That's like my spot. You didn't. You've never said that. Was Are you kidding? Before. I've got I'm the mug. I'm not kidding. Why am I in shirt. trouble? You've I got the shirt with the hot dog on it. I've never seen it. I've talked to you guys. You, you know hot dog You come in here wearing right? like six sweaters because you're cold. Well, it's freezing. So I've never seen your shirt. Anyway, I got to say, the hot dog at Madison Square Garden, fantastic go. Really? It's really good. And I'm going to say this, better Suck than a Dodger dog. Thing. Better than what? Than a Dodger dog. All right. Well, I'll get get two in front of me. I'll suck on those motherfuckers. 
<laughs> and I'll, I'll show you which one's better. I'll slurp them up like a noodle. Did you ever go to Dodger Stadium when you lived in L.A.? Uh, no. Hmm. No, I never did. Go Niners, by the way. Hey, go Niners. Go fucking Niners. Purdy, the bang, uh, bang. <laughs> angel of history. <laughs> go, yeah, who, I don't, I just, I, listen, I know they're not San Francisco anymore, but mm. if they're getting, doing well, then they are again. I saw a guy, I told you, I was uh, on a walk the other day, I saw a guy on the street oh, wearing full Niners gear. So sick. Big old scarf, big floofy hat. He was on the phone, and I was like, yeah, go Niners. He was like, yeah, go Niners. So sick. Niner gang, bang, bang. E-40 versus Taylor Swift. Easy. No, a Taylor. Really? I think in physical combat, she could probably have the stamina. The thing is, is E-40, as much as I find him very charming and fun, he kind of, you know, real overexposed. He's at the war- all the Warriors games. He's at, yeah. He's at all the Niners just games. Jealous. I mean, yeah, I'd like to be at all those games, except for football. I really just like. I don't think watching football in person is the way to watch football. It's not as fun. No. I, th- I think I went to games a couple games at Candlestick when I was a kid. So cold. I did too. Yeah, very so cold. cold. But that was part of it. Yeah, you kind of like wrap up and you get chilly and yeah. you can't see shit because Candlestick was the worst stadium ever. But also fucking rocked. But you're, you're like when you're sucking on the hot dog, your saliva freezes. Yeah, stop doing that. Okay. I Go don't Niners. Do hand motions next time. It's us against the world, baby. It is us against Everyone the world. Everyone wants Mahomes back to back. You know who doesn't? This asshole right yeah. here. Fuck them. Fuck this tra- coastal fucking elite. Fuck Travis Kelsey. San Francisco fucking team to win the fucking Super Bowl. I just feel like <laughs> a certain guy on that team doesn't respect women as much as I do. And that, like, sometimes someone could be happier if other things were different. He seems like sense. a real dum dum. Well, that's just a football. I mean, come on. We're I not, know. You know, it's not, I we're know. not. It's not, it's not the, that's not the. I'm talking about Kelsey, not Mahomes. Although, have you heard Mahomes talk? Yeah, he sounds like a freak. Anyways, circle of prayer that nothing, that I'm back from Chicago and nothing bad happens to me. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. Now that I said that, I feel like something bad will happen to me. Why do you put, even put that die. out there? I'll, put, I'll take that back. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. Nothing. No, that's even worse. That guarantees. What kind of plane one. you flying? I'm flying on American Airlines. <laughs> no, dude. dude. What kind of plane? I don't know. They don't tell you. Do yes, they? they do. When if you they look for it, that? what do you, you see? Is it a, a Boeing? Is it a Boeing? What other kind of planes is there? Well, Timu. Sorry, <laughs> I love no, saying Timu. There's the Airbus, now. but uh, uh, it does not which say. Boeing? It's a class economy, and then in parentheses V, not. No, that's the ticket, not the plane. Well, where does it say the plane then? Oh it just says God. a bunch of stuff about the join the AAA Advantage program. All right, everyone, we have an interview for you today because this is getting real tedious. This is gaslighting me. Yeah, we have an interview with. Yeah, I hope the, the sound of me throwing my it's phone not down gaslighting. the table. Got, Liz is gaslighting me like an abuser would, but Liz isn't an abuser. She's just kind of doing what an abuser would do in this situation. But it's cool because I I've gone no, through a lot. This of This is gaslighting. Interesting that you would say that to what do they call it? Darvo? Darvo? But it's not, that's not, it's not really. What's Darvo? <laughs> now that's gaslighting. Cause what? you definitely know what Darvo what is. What is that? Dar- it's a or like what? a it's a NORAD kind of adjacent thing. Uh Darvo, I don't remember. Oh, the, you know, they instituted all these HR shit after I got out of corporate. Yeah, yeah. Facts. I don't know if that's well. Anyways, we have an excellent interview about the motherfucking media, and it's before you're like, oh, the media. This is a really. I think this is a good one. Yeah, we're talking about New York crimes, everyone's favorite criminal enterprise. 
lies, perfidy, uh, and the soft power of Israel. Mm. Um, and let's let's start the show. Welcome to the Donkey Barn, motherfuckers. Today, here with us in the manger, stroking little Christ's baby little head like one of them freaky-licky wise men from way back when, we have with us Daniel Bogus Law, a.k.a. the 2019 <laughs> Law in Kentucky banning bestiality, the most bogus law I've ever heard of. Just kidding. His real name is Daniel Bogus Law. Investigative reporter at The Intercept here to talk to us about a lot of things. This is going to be a, a rocking episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't know why I'm saying ladies and gentlemen. I'm addressing you, Daniel. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So we should start off right off the bat. We'll mm-hmm. say you just published, along with Ryan Graham, a piece in The Intercept talking, and this will just start off our conversation, uh, talking about how the New York Times pulled some of its reporting on, I don't know, Israeli rape allegations of Hamas members during October 7th. Maybe we should start there. Sure. Yeah. So, um, well, I can talk a little bit about the origin of my reporting on that reporting. Yeah. Which was this this article came out. Um, they said that it had been the product of 150 interviews, um, you know, that it had taken two months and I was sort of, I think I was reading on the subway and I was just thinking about how I would put together, you know, that article if I had had 150 sources, if I had had the full resources mm-hmm. of the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And reading through it, it just was, you know, it was a very few number of named sources for the number yes. of sources they interviewed. Um, there was a lot of hedging language around all the major claims that they made. Like what? I think there was language like seems to be identified at seven oh, locations. Yeah, yeah, and each yeah. each like big claim felt a little hedged. And so I think like when you're a reporter and you're thinking like, okay, this is a massive story. This is like a lot of information. How would I put to put this together? And you're reading through it. Um and you're reading, you know, they're trying to you know, kind of put forward this idea that there was a systematic instructed campaign of sexual violence. Um and so just from the start, from the get-go, I was kind of like, this feels – there's something off about this piece. There's something th- – these pieces don't fit together the way they normally would, especially at a place like the Times where, you know, they have the resources and, and uh, the personnel to, to do something that thorough. Um, so, you know, me and my, my colleague Ryan, we started trying to, like, interrogate um, those – strange elements and, and contact as many people at the Times as we could. Um, I think it was it was challenging to do because the Times is, is uh, it's sort of like siloed. Like yeah, I was going to say a bit of fortress. Yeah, it's it's a fortress. A uh, colleague of mine, former Times reporter, described it as the Vatican where you have like <laughs> different little fiefdoms and you have, you know, these intense power struggles. Mm, sounds healthy. Yeah, so, um, but, but ultimately we found that uh, a lot of the concerns that other other readers had found, specifically about the named uh, sources and some of the sort of open source research that people had done on them, um, really called into question the accuracy of of the claims that they made. So we we started calling around and and we discovered that much like outside of the Times, there was a lot of concern about the piece inside the Times, um, and specifically that uh, episode of the Daily, which was. Um, 
planned sort of based off the piece. Yeah, uh, the, so the, the the Daily, which is Liz's favorite podcast. Uh, I love, you, you, you actually do listen to it. I don't listen to it often. <laughs> I listen to it sometimes. <laughs> um, I li- listen, I always, get a, I always get a little glimpse into the competition, which is they are number one competition. Um, but it is a, uh, it, it sort of like functions as like a way to like, it's like, the, uh, the, a New York Times story, but in like uh, this American lifestyle yeah. format yeah. or whatever. It's Jacked for everyone's commute to yeah. just yeah, take exactly. in the, the news of, of the day. One, one of the most charismatic individuals to come out of the news business in centuries, <laughs> Michael Barbados or Barbadoro or whatever. <laughs> one of the baddest, meanest motherfuckers in the news. <laughs> But uh, but I, I do want to I want I want to contextualize this a little bit before we 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 go a little further. So the big story, I mean, this was like a huge. This was an what they call an A one story, right? Like this was a front page yep. New York Times story, a blockbuster, a blockbuster story about Hamas's like targeted specific campaign of sexual assaults as a weapon of war on October seventh. Um, this. I think to 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 the the even semi astute observer outside, this had kind of come after the claim of forty beheaded babies, which you remember was a very 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 like tenaciously held claim. President for, Biden uh, and, echoed it. Echoed he said it, that exactly. he saw the photos. Saw I believe, the photos right. after that, th- by the way we know don't exist. That there was yeah that after that had been basically it hadn't been put to bed as in there was no like real mea culpa from anybody. But after that stopped being effective because the names of the the dead came out and and turned out to be mathematically impossible for that extraordinary claim to be true. The new claim was that Hamas had had engaged in this this sort of like rape warfare. Uh, and with the subtext being that like the, these are are uh, this is an unspeakable evil that we have to do whatever we have to do to take care of. And so this was like really sort of like the 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 banner like mainstream media news article kind of yeah, coming and, out in support of this. And in fact, we also obtained an email from the executive editor basically saying that explicitly saying this is the type of reporting that you know the new york times makes its name off of this mm-hmm. is this is a, this is an example of the type of powerful uh re- research reporting intensive story that we can do um and then you know immediately even casual observers start just just going on instagram and yeah. finding these these witnesses instagram posts um and and you know showing the discrepancies and 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 also looking into their backgrounds as you know in one case one of the the key named witnesses was you know a former idf member serving in the intelligence directorate so yeah. um yeah it starts to starts to crumble pretty quick and so, what 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 did you what did you find with this story? Because this was like, I mean, the whole thing with I remember when this came out. It was like, you know, this is a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter that got behind this, and it's like, and I, I looked through it, and it was the same. I think I encountered the same thing as you. I was like, this is not very like it is it hedges quite a bit, and there are like essentially no first person really uh, accounts of this happening. There's people saying they they witnessed something that could be, or like maybe an aftermath of something that could be, but like there wasn't anybody being like. I was I was raped by Hamas during this. Right, and in fact, like the banner kind of like the banner source basically, um, which which was uh, which were family members basically of um, uh, a woman who was killed on October seventh. They basically came out and said your timeline's all wrong, yeah, and you mischaracterized what we said. And you know, we're not saying that that maybe there wasn't some sexual violence that occurred, but but you got it wrong. Yeah. with the person that you contacted us for. Um, so just, you know, this was just like 
at, at the basic fundamental level of the building blocks of this story, all of them uh, seem to have holes in it. And I think, what's today? Uh, the 30th. Yeah, so yesterday there was, there was this... Uh, the same reporter, same lead reporter published what was supposed to be like the the follow-up, the shoring up of the article. And, you know, basically the article was like, a lot of people criticize this article. Yeah. And, um, you know, the the there's going to be another investigation um, and that's it. And that's that's the best they could come up with as like a re- an assigned rebuttal, apparently, to the criticism. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the rebuttal article that you mentioned uh, you know, mentions online criticism. And like it basically it poses the article as being like this truthful thing that had kind of come under attack by essentially online trolls who were trying to Right, because of it. the partisan nature of the subject matter. Yeah. We should back up, though, a little bit and say, so the Times response was to pull this episode of The Daily that was supposed to come out. That was basically telling, again, all of the American commuters out there on their way to their their email jobs or whatever, as people love to say. Um, but, you know, that everyone's listening to this in the morning. They get the kind of daily digest of the big times piece. This was set to run January 9th, I think, uh, and they pulled it because of not just those online trolls but of internal pressure as well. Yeah, I mean, our from our reporting, you know, it, it, it was like – and and this has been a constant theme with all the the outlets and, and media companies that I've reported on is like just people on the inside who are in the news business uh, can feel the discrepancy between what they're seeing in real time uh, from from Twitter and other you know social media outlets and their ability as people you know as reporters to like mm. parse what's real and what's not mm. and the stuff coming out of their publications and I think across the board it's reaching a boiling point where people are are willing to push back internally on, on things that they don't you know they don't want to be their legacy they don't want to have their name on um, and so yeah so there was there was a big um, you know. Uh, internal uproar. There was a message that the Times said was coincidental, but that was basically saying like, you can't attack your colleagues on Slack. Yeah, um, <laughs> which and, everyone knows you can. Yeah, you can. Um, That's what Slack's for. So uh, yeah, and so ultimately the episode was, you know, the Times spokesperson told us that, you know, new, news is always evolving, and you know we're always you know adjusting things and, and revising things. Um, but ultimately, that's yeah, not really they, how it works. That's <laughs> not really yeah. how. Works. You know, we're always, we're always refining our process. <laughs> so we're just like sitting on this. I know that that's the funny thing about like. I mean, I I don't know if it was in a statement to you guys or I think it was in your article where 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 somebody from the Times says like, well, it's not final until like the actual podcast drops. But I think it is a good indication of your confidence of the story that you're basing a podcast episode about if it couches itself in heavy caveats that the story itself, an A1, page one, front page story, did not fucking uh, contain, right? And, yep. like, it's clear that there is some dissent here. And, like, it's... it's it's uh, And this is a major... I mean, I you know, I, this isn't just, like, us talking about, like, a story that has some controversy around the way it was reported. Like, this is a major piece of, of the information war, I guess, uh, it, yeah. that's going on sort of in the background and in the press in America and, and just in the ether between Israel and Palestine, uh, this, you know, this provides major ammunition uh, to, to people who want to defend the flattening of Gaza. And uh, it, it, in, 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 it should be great care taken with it. And it really seems like they're, they're – at first there was this rush to publish and now that there's this sort of walking – behind the scenes walking back. Yeah, and I mean like you could see this sort of push. I think there was a lot of um, – 
campaigning kind of for, you know, on the one hand, it was like the IDF and Israeli government had had really failed to provide its own investigation into the claims of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, that sort of... Uh, opening like created this wave of people saying like there's this like mass rape denialism Mm -hmm. happening when really I think a lot of people were sort of saying like well the government and and the IDF haven't provided concrete evidence and and people asking for that evidence sort of got picked up as this wave of denialism and then it sort of seems like the times set out to say like okay we're going to do the conclusive story yeah. showing this and um you know and they stuck this Pulitzer Prize winner on it who you know talking to a lot a lot of people like I talked to probably 20 people you know who who have had touched this person's reporting or interacted with this person and like you know you can go back and read his memoir Love Africa Mm -hmm. um, to get a sense of crazily (laughs) enough the same name as my fucking memoir which is really aggravating I mean I would suggest you know checking out that check out the Times uh Review of that book too, if you want. If you want some good, uh, I'm putting an exclamation point at the government. end of Africa yeah. on mine. <laughs> but well, I yours think, is yeah. the United States of Africa, United so States it's a little different. Yeah. But I honestly think like putting him on that story is really fascinating, given the fact that like, okay, he won this Pulitzer, but also like, if you were a critical editor or reporter, like looking at this guy and looking at his track record and you know his reputation as as honestly a shoddy reporter, and you're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna bet. Bet it all on him doing yeah. the definitive article on this extremely sensitive, you know, it's not just Israel and Palestine. You're also talking about sexual violence, two yeah. very uh, sensitive, maybe the two most sensitive uh, topics <laughs> yeah. you could possibly combine. Um, and, and, you know, and I think it's clear that it, it really blew up in their faces. Well, I'm curious, what do you think? Ha- I mean, I don't know. You, you probably don't want to speculate. I'm not going to put you in a position where you feel like you have to say, oh, I don't want to speculate. But if you were going to speculate, <laughs> I mean, ha- I'm curious, like, how something like this happens. Because I think that, you know, for myself, for our listeners, you know, we don't work in a newsroom. You, uh, I think that there are various points through the, if we want to say, like, the assembly line of a story getting uh, published, you know, where pressure can be kind of uh, exerted, whether it's, like, at the point of the story, like, we want to put you on this story, or we want you to not look at this side of the story, or we want to carve out some of these edits, or whatever it is. But I'm curious because, like, if you can give us some insight into some of those possible kind of, you know, pressure points you know, you've been covering for The Intercept since October 7th at very, you know, a slew of stories at different publications, whether it's at Art Forum or CNN or... Axel you know, Springer. Axel Springer, <laughs> which is still a crazy-ass fucking name for a publication. There, there's the hint of the Heil behind they it, They yes. do things a little bit differently in Germany. <laughs> but, um, you know, all of these different kind of, you know, internal and external pressures that various uh, publishers are feeling or exerting on this specific topic and journalism covering uh, Israel and Palestine. I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit of an insight on some of this internal machinations here. To get at it, I might talk a little bit about, like, this sort of second half of of the New York Times article, which was about the sort of long history of this uh, pro-Israel watchdog group, Camera, uh, which basically just 
you know, has has this mass um, membership. They claim sixty five thousand, more than sixty five thousand, um, who just like will you know they'll call editors, they'll e- you know incessant emails, you know hundreds of emails, um, and. You know, they've been doing that for decades now. And by the way, Joe Kahn, executive editor's father, was on the board of camera. I want to put a little magnifying glass over that sentence right there. So Joe Kahn, the executive editor of the New York Times? That's correct. The newspaper. You got it. His father was on the board of the Committee for Accuracy in Middle East Reporting in America, which is part of the broader ecosystem of, like, Canary Mission, you know, uh, APAC, all yeah. of these kind of, like— pro-Israel, very uh, aggressive advocacy groups. Yeah. With big online footprints. Big online footprints. And his father was on the fucking board of that, and their whole thing is to criticize newspapers for not taking a pro-Israel slant. Yeah. And but in the, within the language of it be, by it's neutral, right? Because they, they, they start from the position that all these newspapers are pro-Palestine, right. and so they're trying to get them back to the center, which right. is pro-Israel. They, right. To be yeah. clear... Leo Khan, who in the article heralding uh, Joe Khan's appointment uh, was described as dissecting news articles with his son, uh, left the board when Joe stepped into a uh, edit position. Mm-hmm. So it should just be really clear yeah, to about be, that. To be completely clear about that. Yeah. So there's nothing to worry <laughs> about no, here. No confusion. But, but uh, I mean, this is, this is pretty – I had not known this because this seems pretty extraordinary. No one – I don't think anyone really – Knew that, but it goes to to your point, Liz, about the way that um, like there are these sort of unspoken standards that have been established uh, partly through just like the pure miasma of ideology uh, of of how people internalize what is appropriate coverage for a topic. But Mm -hmm. then there's also you know these glimmers where you can see the way that that standardized. uh, uh, you know, kind of base level of, of ideology is established, camera being part of it, where they're constantly hounding. Um, but I think that uh, th- what's, what, what we're seeing right now is this moment where all of a sudden that, that, that uh, midpoint of coverage, that, that middle ground of, of how all kinds of news coverage is editorialized, what's allowed in, what types of words you can use to describe mm. the conflict, all of a sudden that that whole thing is being shaken to its core. And I think a lot of the leaders in newsrooms um, are being kind of blindsided by it. I mm. think that like what my reporting has demonstrated outside of the internal workings of these newsrooms is that people are at a breaking point where both inside the organizations, they're willing to share internal documents and directives with me, mm-hmm. but also the masses on the outside are... are um, holding these organizations to a level of scrutiny that they've never been held before. Yeah. And it's constant. Yeah. And it's 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 reached a critical mass where the the leaders can no longer ignore it because you have so many people constantly on social media picking through every article, uh, criticizing certain claims, doing their own at times open source reporting on the claims, right. and then funneling those those critical claims back into the mainstream news where reporters like myself or you know or, or even mainstream reporters are picking picking them up. So I think um, really like there is just a complete sort of realignment happening in in the the global perspective on this and it's just reached such a fever pitch that that the people who are n- normally able to um, hand down the editorial line are just seeing a total uh, uh, 
uh, reversal both in in their in their readership and in the the staffers who they rely on to to mm. get that editorial line out. Basically, people are not taking it anymore. Do you I, think it's shaking their confidence? Um, I mean, I think it it varies kind of um, place to place, but I also think there's a reflexive element where I think when people on the inside see colleagues, you know, speaking out about stuff, they get um, incentivized and empowered to push back mm. and push back against that sort of, um, you know, that that senior edit, executive edit mm-hmm. um, behemoth. But also to address the other point you raised, like, I think it's critical that people understand that it's this the way that this power mechanism works is not like you come with an article about a hospital bombing, you know, in Gaza, and they say, we're not running that. It's like, okay, we're going to put this through 15 sets of review. We're going to shave mm. off certain words. Yeah. We're going to put the IDF spokesperson line at the top of the piece. So Move things down to paragraph 20. Down. That's but, always my favorite. Yeah, and also, but it also creates <laughs> a system. Always read paragraph 20. It, it creates a beating down of reporters mm-hmm. where you're like, what, am I going to take a risk going into Gaza, going to Nablus, you know, putting my life on the line, you know, fighting, staying up late to, to edit this piece, put yeah. my heart and soul into it. If missing I Missing my kids. Yeah. Recital. They're just, <laughs> yeah, missing my, <laughs> missing my kids. Uh, Fucking, well, don't yeah, miss yeah. the wife, but, yeah. you know, miss the kids. And it's like, no, the answer <laughs> to that question is no, I'm not, you're not going to keep beating your head against yeah, the wall when you know how much shit you're going to have to go through. Well, so it's this, it's this sort of like uh, unspoken I guess like funnel into conformity and like whether it's like a a, a worn down conformity or one that like uh, people are sort of striving towards uh, it 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 amounts to the same thing where like I mean we, we talked a little bit before recording you're like yeah people I think really just want a smoking gun of an editor being like this story is not pro Israel enough so we're gonna kill it yeah. and like these people are not fucking stupid you know what I mean and and some of them I'm not gonna say all of them but some of them probably don't even really realize they're doing it because they're also have this reflexive thing in their head and frankly like it's I I think uh, people sometimes make the mistake of assuming that like everybody has these good politics but they're being tricked by somebody else into having bad politics when it's like no many people at the times probably firmly believe that Israel is in the right or whatever i mean yeah. that's this it's a fairly that's a fairly mainstream opinion in a lot of circles and so uh but it it's they also know that they can't like you know they they have this uh kind of play acting like dedication to the news and the truth but if the truth and the news don't exactly suit their ideological aims they'll do these sort of like uh, shavings and and mess around with the articles I will say to contradict myself a little bit like I do think that there's one point though where people also have like going back to like the Vatican metaphor it's like people also have like a religious commitment oftentimes to I mean especially the New York Times yeah Yeah, I've heard that but also like I think like probably the same at like CNN or like you know the post or something where it's like the the institution has this like weird like life force energy that people become obsessed with and I do think sometimes people will make the justification of like well this place is the guardian of truth like Trump is always calling it like the lying New York Times or whatever and true and and true, yep, yep. Um, and so, like, they will. They, I think, sometimes there also will be a step taken where, like, some big hitter comes yeah. and calls up, you know, a member of the editorial board or whatever, and is like, "You guys are fucking up," and like, "We will fuck you." Yeah. And so, I think sometimes it does. It is like that old school, uh-huh. like mafia stuff. But I think 
on a day-to-day basis, it's much less of that and yeah. much more of this, like, soft power. It's coming at all angles and just, like, exhausts you and wears you down. Well, it's funny, too, because there was so much reporting about this, like, woke rebellion at the New York Times, which is so – was so <laughs> fucking funny to me. Because it's like, come on, you guys like you guys work at fucking Der Sturmer, you know? Like, <laughs> but it's like there was so much like like in like like a couple years, I think probably during 2020 when everyone went insane. But in like 2020, there was like this crazy like like upheaval in all these newsrooms with all these sort of like woke, you know, college former college I guess I'll probably everyone who works at this place is a former college student. But you know what I mean? Like these kind of young people are like, we're gonna like, you know, this newspaper is supposed to be like an I, something like they're like it's leftist or whatever. Like <laughs> We're going to do the leftist New York Times. Was that like when they were like bullying Barry Weiss? <laughs> yeah. It was mostly yeah. at the opinion section, yeah, right. to yes. be fair, yeah. not really in the newsroom right. as Which is, much. Re- they've really been replaced Barry Weiss and her kin with some really great uh, communist op-ed writers. <laughs> uh, but, it, it, you know, it, it's so hard to take seriously because it's like you work at the, like you work at the New York Times, you know? But it's uh, it's like it's like the staffers for Biden being like, we're for Gaza. It's like, but, you work for Biden. But... Uh, but it's 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 funny because that stuff is like has been brewing in newsrooms because like a lot of young people are kind of more for lack of a better word woke I guess than older people and part of that is like Palestine has can be kind of folded into that and so I think you're coming up against like real ideological like barriers for a lot of people who work at these at these news outlets where like they're like this comports. I mean, and I'm sure a lot of some, not a lot, maybe not a lot, but I'm sure that some of these people are genuinely like think about this and believe in this in a real way. But I think for like maybe a lot of people or whatever it is, they kind of come up against these ideological barriers where the career path that they've chosen does not match with maybe their political opinions. And uh, the career path that they've chosen, like at the New York Times or these media institutions, is a lot more powerful force than the, than the, than the uh, ideology that they might hold. Yeah, and it's it's crazy talking to people at legacy media institutions because yeah. like to get through the door at one of those places, yeah, it's like serious. you need to have like some crazy last name, mm-hmm. or you need to have just like fucking just done the 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 internship and kept your nose clean and just yeah. done like just done every step. And it's fascinating talking to people at these legacy institutions where it's like they're like they're completely torn because on the one hand they're like, oh, I thought like. You know, yeah. I, I made it. I made it into this thing. Like, yeah. I, I did the thing. Like, now I'm at the the, the arbiter of truth yeah. for America. And then they're also usually pretty intelligent. I mean, depending on the yeah, last absolutely. name, yeah. they're usually yeah. pretty yeah. intelligent people. And they're like, and especially if they're younger people, you know, they're like, they're just exposed to social media in a way. Exactly. I mean, I, it's such a boring fucking explanation to like always point just back to, to be social, like social media, media everything. but it's kind of <laughs> in my experience like it's it's true because you have these like yeah. shitheads at the top of of mastheads right and like they aren't real they're like fuck this like i don't believe in this this is yeah. dumb this is this is you know for the scrabble but it's like so like they're just not even exposed to it in the same way but yeah. then like when you just have people like a decade or two younger than them like, it just completely rewrites the code. Well, especially when so much reporting now is done through social media contacts, yeah. right? I mean, like, so many people reach out via social totally. media because yeah. how else do you cultivate sources? I Absolutely. mean, or it's a way to cultivate sources yeah. and talk to people in so many ways. So I met and, Sydney Sweeney. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, never mind. I was going to say Highly that. cultivated source for me. Um, <laughs> But I think that, like, you know, just thinking about the times, this, like, Vatican, you know, metaphor, which I do think is, like, very spot on. It makes total sense. Yeah. And then seeing, 
I would imagine a kind of like the disillusionment of this sort of like bureaucratic, you know, the way that the the newsroom is set up, which is very structured, very bureaucratic in its way, where, you know, some of the sort of parts where this kind of power can be exerted, it's like, you know, what you were saying that, you know, sometimes it's not that everyone has this ideological belief or whatever. Yeah. But they have a belief in the institution which pushes them to kind of, well, maybe this reporting feel like even if it's right and the language that's being used is correct, it doesn't feel right, right exactly. in this situation totally. yeah. because it's so raw. Yeah. And because like there's something about this specific situation. Yeah. I don't know why I keep calling it a situation. There's something about <laughs> the fucking, you know, the war in Gaza that is so brutal and is so like you know, we were talking about this with John Dolan, you know, the other day, where it's just like there is something about the war in Gaza that is destroying a lot of 20th century, like, artifices from the 20th century. Some of that being, I think, in this instance, these, you know, what maybe beliefs that young people might have within these institutions of journalism for holding up on, you know, some of the the promises of the, the, the good, you know, 1970s journalists holding truth to power. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I think... But, like, there's but, something about, you know, in both, like, Bibi's complete flouting of all kind of international law. The U.S. I mean, I was listening to John Kirby on the way here and his answers to, you know, the story about UNRWA and this, uh, uh, you know, and their supp- alleged employees being, you know, sub- Hamas supporters or whatever. And the his response to the ICJ hearing and, and the way that, like, it's just a complete and total fuck you to these real um, supposed like hallmarks of international justice, humanitarian, et cetera, peace. This, you know, all of this stuff that has been held up for so long. That there's something about this that is so fucking like the brutality is so in your face that it cannot be ignored. That it's just like stripping away whatever is left of these things. Yeah, and I think. Well, I was just gonna say one other thing on that note of like how some of this could change those those monolithic structures of like the times or whatever um where i don't know i think it's interesting like i think the idf will often feed news in the same way that that like uh the us military will to like large publications which mm-hmm. is that they'll offer an exclusive yeah. right and then it'll be like well you just have to like and it's a way of controlling the narrative by being like okay you got to publish what we say now or we're going to give it to someone else yeah um and that's starting that's to break down. That's very classic. Down. Yeah, it's very classic. But now all of a sudden it's just like – it's just it, – they can't – the time lapse between that statement getting written up in, in a major publication and then like someone immediately disproving it is getting narrower and mm, narrower. Yeah. And it used to be that like it would stretch out a little bit and they could do some follow-up and they could sprinkle some more distraction into right. it. But, like, or that, pull a retraction even a, and no one would notice. Exactly, or stealth edit. But now that's that's breaking down. I think it'll be interesting to see like if it changes any of the other, you know, if it has a rippling effect to other kind of newsroom practices of changing the, the fundamental way that like, you know, types these types of, of reports get transferred in. Uh, and republished. It's it's so interesting too because like I think that we are and we've talked about this in the show a bunch like I think social media I'm not just talking about the, in relation to Israel Palestine now. I'm talking about in general. Uh there's a lot of noise and bullshit and like smoke and mirrors and just fucking 
fake shit out there, fake shit that like a lot of people buy into. And you know, we talked about sort of the permeability of reality and like that breaking down for a lot of people, both in the like the sense of the of the news and information that they consume, which goes like essentially gives everybody schizophrenia. Um, and it's funny because not that I think the New York Times is, is an arbiter of truth. I don't think that. But it, it becomes so glaringly apparent that there are very few arbiters of truth, that, which is really like it, – it, it's almost like there's no good solution, right? Like there's no like uh, – there's none of these institutions that can that, – that you can rely on to like give you the straight facts or whatever. Yeah, or it's like, like what I was telling you the other day. You can get any opinion you want on the internet. You can get any opinion from – Fascist to, I don't know, whatever. Ultra Maoist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and everything in between. But you can't actually get the, you can't read anything about what's actually just going on. You can get everything else. But getting, you know, getting the news is impossible. So, like, it seems like at, at, it, within these institutions, a lot of these, like, th- it's like they're already pretty degraded in a lot of the public's eyes, right? Like, I, I, f- I feel like very few people yeah. under the age of 40, I mean, I, that's probably not true, but. Very few people I know under the age of forty like take the New York Times at faith, at face value, or you know, with good faith or anything like that. But it seems like within these institutions as well, there is this sort of like generalized discontent, and it's like almost like a a, a sort of fun funhouse mirror of it. Ha- what's happening on the outside? Yeah, um, and I think I mean I don't know. I mean I think yeah, I think it's like it, it almost gets at a broader issue with just like the people who have climb to the top of, of literally all publications. Like, I think you can make the argument, too, with a lot of, like, left-wing, like, old-school or, or just generally, like, left-wing publications, like the ones that are even remaining. Like, the people running those places are, are old as shit. Yes. And, like, they do not understand what is happening. They don't understand the point you just made about, like, um, like young people being able to go out and just, like, get whatever they want, they still, like, view themselves as part of this, like, coherent ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's – there's a piece of it, too, that is just, like, we're in this, like, weird moment where yeah. – I can't remember. I was telling someone else this other day, but, like, we're in this weird no-man's land where, like, the old institutions have not completely failed yet, but also, like, the new base of people who are, like, coming up who are going to, like, eventually be, like, you know, people with with ex- you know, disposable incomes and and yeah. people who are going to be like fund like funders like upper middle class and like middle class people like are no longer really attached to any of this shit and so it's just everything feels like it's constantly breaking down because yeah. we're watching these systems like fall apart in real time but somehow they keep they're still standing yeah even after just like perpetually embarrassing themselves <laughs> over and over again so decaying yeah corpses, so yeah. or I, I decadent in yeah. a way yeah yeah so I don't know as someone like as a relatively young reporter trying to navigate this like collapse. Yeah, that's kind of what I see. Where you have this, and you have this new generation coming into these places, being like, "Okay, we want to change it, but also it's almost too fucked up to change." Mm-hmm. So we kind of just have to like talk about that. And there's not, there can't really be a coherent vision for what replaces it yet, because you know, like it's not going to be pure social media, because like what you just said, yeah. it's completely all over the place. Totally. But also, it kind of feels like. The old model has to be completely torn up because it's not working. Oh, and it's it's especially this ha- that sort of phenomenon occurring at the same time as this like information war is happening in Israel and Palestine is really astounding to see, right? Like, and it's it's you know, we've talked about this in the show several times, but like Israel's response to 
like Israel's public public messaging and it's like it's propaganda that it's putting forward is so ineffective uh, to anybody but those who are like most receptive to it in the first place and who it's not necessary for that uh, that it's 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 sort of astounding because that is also like one of the big sort of institutions which is like the Israeli propaganda machine and like Hasbarist and it is not. It is not functioning as well. I mean, they have fucking Brett Gelman there for Christ's sake. <laughs> you know, like that is my Although God. I, but oh. at the same time, like a lot of this mainstream stuff, I think like I just the other day on Friday morning, last Friday morning, I was having a conversation with someone and they mentioned to me and it was about an hour after, no, no, it was like three or four hours after the ICJ ruling dropped. And they said to me, oh, did you see that the U.S. found that UNRWA employees were Hamas, you know, were Hamas members? And that's what they had heard. They hadn't heard anything about the ICJ. They hadn't heard anything like that. And so I do think that for not clued in or not super, like, yeah, you know, social media, I mean, people who are not, like, very, very ideologically invested in the conflict, which includes probably most of America. Yeah. Um, what they're hearing is filtered through. I mean, they're going to get the news from that daily episode that right. was pulled. And so, like, I do think that this kind of shit really is still, it's like, in a way, it, I guess maybe that the, the, the decadent descriptor works then in this sense, right? Because it is effective up to a point and up until like a certain population maybe. Yeah, I think there's a risk of over-exaggerating like how, and I'm, I, I'm talking about myself here, like of, of how ineffective this stuff is because it is still effective because like the article that, you know, you're criticizing the, the Jeffrey Gettleman fucking article, which is, I reread it this morning, or actually last night and this morning, uh, and it is just sort of astounding. Um, but uh, that stuff does get a lot of purchase, right? And, mm. and more than that, like, it's not even... And retractions remember, don't. What's retractions up? Retractions never get don't, purchase. no. No, no one remembers when a story is retracted. <laughs> no, of course not. And, no. But, like, uh, unless it, like, gets its own warrants, its own story. But right. yeah, that's a very rare occurrence, especially with the New York Times. But, like... Um, this stuff is also provides cover for the U.S. government, right? Yeah. And so, like, you can have, you know, Kirby go up there. Such an unpleasant-looking individual. I mean, he looks like Josh – what's his face? Uh, the, he looks like the, the, little, no, the little baby son from uh, – what's that fucking show with the family? They live in the house. God, it's a very popular TV show. Not young Sheldon. No, no. Uh, no, he looks like the Trump, the Trump family kid. Baron. He does look no, a little bit – No, not Baron. The fucking – Junior? Oh, my God. The one married to Ivanka. What's his fucking face? Oh. Jared Kushner? Kushner. I was going to call him Josh Kushner. That looks like Kushner. He looks like Jared Kushner. I don't know. He looks Post like... Post-surgery. He looks like what the family that lives in... It's like a house that's under construction, and it's like a sitcom that's like funny or whatever, and it has David Cross in it. Now the story of a wealthy family who lost everything. I have no idea what you're talking about. Arrested Development. <laughs> he looks like the little baby guy from Arrested Development. Michael Sarah. Not Michael fucking Sarah, dude. The dude, he's like an adult, uh, but he's... Buster. Kind of, he looks like Buster. <laughs> he looks like that I think dude. he looks like Jared Kushner. Because he's very vampiric as well. Anyways, I think a lot of this reporting doesn't... It's like, like I have to remember that like Brett Gelman isn't trying to convince me or whatever, right? And Brett Gelman... Maybe it's a bad example here, but like a lot of this like propaganda isn't trying to convince me. Like they they they're like they gave up. They're like that. If you have a critical eye, it's 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 a way for the U.S. government to be like, 
Well, you know, there's some credible reporting on this topic, but it's also a way, like you said, for be like for for the Israeli kind of propaganda machine to be like you're a rape denier now, and that was that replaced completely. You're a beheaded baby denier. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the quality of the propaganda has necessarily changed. Yeah. Like, I've spent a lot of time in Israel, and like I have Israeli friends, and uh, like you know, like looking at their feeds. Yeah, right? it's like. You you just would have no. It's not. It, it's such an extreme level. It's 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 so lacking in context that it actually, when you see it in that vacuum of their algorithm, yeah, it's like it actually doesn't seem that fucking crazy because there's no one in the comments being like, uh, like this this guy was arrested for like lynching, yeah. you know, Palestinians. It's just like he's like, yep, like we we. We have to go, you know. We have to go settle it so that we can put in plumbing. There's no plumbing there. Yeah, you know, we gotta get some plumbing in there. So I think that it the the propaganda has always been completely insane. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's just like for the first time you have so many people paying attention day after day, opening up social media, self educating. A like, society of debunkers. Yeah, honestly, and I think that's the big change because the the shit is just being contextualized for the first time. Well, and it's also I think I think you run up to this point where it's like every day if you use social media in a way that isn't just like looking at Stanley Cup videos or whatever, but even probably if you do, like mm-hmm. every day you're presented Life with poisoning. images that like evoke the 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 running the girl running in front of the napalm in Vietnam, right? Yep. Of like dead children. Like ad nauseum, dead children, dead children, dead children, dead children. Uh, you know, uh, adults, maybe adult men in their underwear with their heads behind their heads, which is, I think, to a lot of people sort of subtly reminiscent of those ISIS execution videos as mm. well because yeah. that's a, a pretty, I mean, that's where my mind goes. And Abu Ghraib. And Abu Ghraib, yep. yeah, exactly. That you generally don't see that in the context of a good thing happening. <laughs> um, and uh, I think that, like, you know, for a, a lot of people seeing this, it's like, well, I'm seeing these like horrible, horrible, horrible images, and then like, you know, it's it's if you're if you're not even really a young person anymore, Netanyahu has been the leader of Israel for like most of your life. Yeah, or, like, well, Vietnam's a great example. Like, you think about the pictures from Vietnam that like you know won Pulitzers and yeah. shit, and it's like now every day there's like 15 of those yes. pictures, and I think also like I've never been like I you know I love all the president's men or whatever as much as the next guy, but I've never okay, been like pause. a journalists are like the, the fucking yeah, yeah. heroes journalists of the, the world. Like I've never been that guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, or like, or like journalists job is so hard, but I will say that I think part of the change you're seeing in newsrooms is that like when you're a journalist, like you are, like you're just, you are looking at that shit all yeah, the time. Yeah, and yeah. if you're not, you're like, okay, I can take a day off. But I think that also has had an effect where it's like, just like, even for myself, it's just like looking through this shit every day. It's like it is just so fucked up. And I think that also, again, mm-hmm. that goes to the like social media is the main catalyst for all this shit is like, you know, that's just like as a human being, like that volume of death and suffering is not normal. And it's also like, yeah. you know, you'd have a couple of those pictures in the print times or yeah. whatever, right? Like in the in the early 70s. And like that would have this explosive, explosive effect. effect because people didn't have access to to. It, well, to anything. And the TV completely changed. The TV, yeah. Vietnam. But it's as like well. now like, Israel is like the biggest provider of snuff films in the fucking world, you know? Mm. And like that has an effect on people. Yeah. And especially I just think like, you know, the, these people in the newsrooms were forced, you know, it's there's an irony of them being forced to look at it over and over and over again and then just basically losing their fucking minds. I mean, most people at the publications I've reported on basically talking to them, you you can feel in them that like something broke. Yeah. Them. And they, uh, many of them, 
were like long career people at a single organization who had been there for years or decades in some cases. And they had seen all kinds of horrible coverage. They, some of them had lived through Iraq. And this, this broke them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, what, what kind of stuff are you hearing from these people, you know? You can speak in obviously general yeah. terms. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's more – it's that much more complicated than what I just said. It, yeah. It's it's really the day to day grind for them, and the and the feeling of like this feeling. It, there's a new type of feeling, which is not just like we're conveying the egregious sentiments of our respective political leaders anymore. It's like we are directly implicated every day yeah. in yeah. pushing this shit out, and um, I think they can feel how day-to-day the conflict is shifting. They can feel that that feeling of when history happens, when you can, like, feel that everything is up in the air yeah. and that small changes can, like, really affect whether, you know, another 5,000 people die, whether 500,000 people starve yeah. or a million people starve, where, you know, the whim of MBS could could – shift a mass biblical-level yeah. exodus into the Egyptian desert yes. or uh, a Arab-sanctioned, you know, reflourishing uh, yeah. in Gaza. So I think, like, I think there's also this feeling of feeling the the daily 24-hour news being so responsible for what's happening in a unique way and so much changing. I mean, this feels like the longest news cycle I can remember in my life. Yeah, this is unending. I'm shocked by how, like, because even even with other wars and stuff like Ukraine, you kind of stopped hearing about until they're like, hey, look, we're going to do an offensive. But, like, uh, (laughs) and then it was just, it failed. But uh, it's like this is really, it stayed on the top of the news every single day. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's always something new, and, and there's oh, and there's a constant. I think also part of it is just like how out of control Israel has gotten from yeah. under like any any. I mean, they're just so clearly like acting with a, with like no regard for yeah. anything, and I think anyone with any kind of sense. I mean, it's funny because thinking back to the way in which journalists conducted themselves during the Trump admin versus now. Like, I'm curious, because my feeling is that I think a lot of people in that profession had a feeling that, like, okay, once democracy has been resurrected from darkness or whatever, like, now that Trump is out and Biden's here, not like our work is finished, because our work is never done as journalists, but maybe some of the aggressive, like, aggression from these sort of centers of power, the White House, DOD, whatever it is, like are, you know, it would maybe ease up. Like maybe one, there's more access or maybe things will kind of chill for a bit. And yet it's been total, like you say, like the the most nonstop news cycle. But also I think like listening to, like I said, I was listening to the State Department briefing and listening to those pool reporters. Like you can hear in the questions that they're asking and the stonewalling that they're getting from state where yeah. like literally like you listen to these briefings and it is, uh, these pool reporters are not fucking stupid, you know? Like, it takes a long time to get through and get that kind of access and all of that kind of shit, and it's a very specific type of reporting. But, like, you are getting, like, pissed on and being told it's raining. Like, there is a complete and utter denial coming from the White House and the State Department of, like, reality and what's happening yeah. in a way that, like, I don't... My suspicion is that a lot of these people did not anticipate from the Biden administration, and that is adding to a lot of disillusionment about 
you, you know, like, you know, either what people maybe thought about part the partisan nature of politics or about mm-hmm. how things would change or these sort of promises and like or Trump being this certain kind of aberration or whatever it was like, you know, you, you, you ask these questions saying like, does the U.S. have a response to BV? It was just today to BV saying that, you know, they're. There's we're blowing up hostage negotiations and just like a complete denial of what's actually going yeah. on and what Israel is doing. And I you can hear the, in their questions that they're breaking. Yeah. And it also like there's just been unprecedented leakage out of out of state for this administration. Really? I mean, like uh, I'm blanking on his name, but there's this in- tremendous uh, HuffPo reporter who's just been like. Oh, I know you're talking just, about the guy they called a liar. Yeah. 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 And I don't and, remember that dude's name, but yeah. And like there was that really, really high profile State Department resignation. Yeah. Um, and the wave, there's all the waves of kind of whistleblowers coming yeah. out and saying, you know, that people are attempting to stop State Department or like, you know, change State Department policy and are getting stonewalled. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it, yeah, but it it's all combined with like everything, you know, it's like one more step of the Biden administration just going into this election and just being yeah. like, nope, we're holding the, the old school Democratic Party line, even as the world is like falling down around us, yeah. you know, they're still in the bunker just like being like, okay, this is going to get us through. And I was talking to a colleague yesterday who was like, I think you can feel this like, like a lot of the press are like holding their breath for this election and like on the one hand it's like all this horrible shit is happening and the other hand it's like all right like let's just, let's just yeah, let's just fucking <laughs> get over the finish line of the election and you know the point he was making to me was like it's really important for the press to hammer these people now yeah. who are doing all this horrible shit because there's a good chance that Biden does eke it out. And if he does eke it out, then the line is going to be like, all right, we have to double down on anti-immigration. We have to double down on bombing the shit out of Yemen. We have to double down on all of these failed policies that have brought us to this point mm-hmm. because that's what won us the election. Um, and so I think it's it's good to see some people in those pools like you know hammering, but also it's clearly like – it still hasn't fully broken through where you just have the press just nailing Biden no, to the wall. Like, they, like, you know, if this was post-election, it would be a bloodbath. Well, that's, that, that's, the, that's the, the wild but thing about this, crazy. right? I yeah. think it's because a lot of reporters genuinely think that, like, if Trump becomes president, it'll end democracy. And I think that we've talked about this on the show before. That's the fifth time I fucking said that this episode. But we have talked about this a bunch on the show before. I think a lot of these reporters who are sort of like the type that are kind of high on their own supply, I guess you could say, uh, view themselves as like the frontline warriors in between uh, like, you know, Trump and ending democracy. And so like part of that project is like, yes, this sort of like truth is like maybe not for now. Yeah. Well, yeah. And just, oh God, I mean, this is a tangential, but just like go for the it. number, the number of fucking outlets that hire just like right wing extreme extremism yeah. reporters being mm-hmm. like, this is hitting back at Trump and Trump's base in the world that Trump created when it's like, you yeah. are just taking the bait. You're failing to report on any of the shit that led to the, the yeah. basic yeah, underlying course. conditions that led to all this yeah, shit. Yeah, plus half those guys are federal informants anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, what? And just get a DOJ report. Yeah, you know, so it's like, like right, it's so many Twitter bios. It's like right wing extremism expert. And it's yeah. like, I'm also a right wing extremism It's like, what about just old school reporting about like corruption and like the Democrats and Republicans who are just skimming off the top and like allowing their communities to fester and devolve? Well, I think the problem too is like, I mean, 
speaking for myself, like I, looking at this election, like I really, I mean, I don't think this is controversial to say, I really don't want Donald Trump to be president again. Um, and I think that that would be very bad as much as I hate all available options. Um, but I think that the press and kind of Americans in general have like run into a problem, which is a sort of like boy who cried wolf situation, like yeah. how, which we've talked about, which is that like, like you say, the press say like, oh, democracy is going to end and they want to like, you know, stop this whole from happening. But it's like, oh, but democracy didn't end last time. Like we already did it and democracy didn't end. And oh, I mean, just speaking as like American Joe, like, oh, and the stock market did pretty well. Like, you remember that? Like, so you're sort of yeah. fighting those two things. Yeah, totally. Even if you can kind of, I think a sophisticated person can look down the, the fucking barrel and see what would be there possibly on the other end. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I don't know, what does, what does the Biden, what does the second Biden uh, term look like? Like, he, if, he, if dies. The, if, he dies. He dies. <laughs> No, but if the lesson they learned is like you can fuck every major constituent and still win, like yeah. what does what does that uh, while campaigning via Zoom yeah. or whatever yeah. they're gonna have them do? Oh uh, yeah, when they put COVID twenty out. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, I, I I agree. I think that it's gonna be. It's so funny because it's like I I am I don't want Trump to win just because. I can't do people being self-important again for four more years, but I also don't want Biden to win. Uh, so I, I, I would like to announce here that I'm endorsing RFK Jr. for president. <laughs> but no, it's I, I. My thing is, it's like it's 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 such fucking bullshit, right? Like we all know it's bullshit. We know that, like, yeah, Trump didn't end democracy in fucking 2016, 2020. We, Biden's like, you know, promised new era of progress, the most progressive president in history. Shit sucks right now. I'm sorry, whatever. It's it fucking does suck right now, and especially when it comes to like the way that the U.S. is interacting with the world. Even if like all the other shit wasn't happening, the very fact that like that Biden is co-signing the the absolute carnage and 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 bloodthirst coming from the Israeli government and the Israeli army is fucking in, it's just in, completely intolerable yeah. and and that's that's one of these things it's like you will tolerate and journalists are kind of caught in this position where it's like I think a lot of people at these liberal at these liberal outlets have to essentially they have to co-sign Biden because that like they can, you kind of have to put your money where your mouth is and so we aren't going to get – I mean and, – and, and, but all this just turns into, like we were saying before, the unraveling of these institutions, the loss of trust in yeah. these institutions. Not that we thought these institutions should you – know, people like us, I guess, thought these institutions should be trusted in the first place, but for the general public. And then we just have more of this sort of chaos too. Yeah, and I think like – I don't know. I I think there were interesting off-ramps for the press like in the past year. Like yeah, I think absolutely. like one – yeah, like I think that – like like Dean Phillips – yeah, I know, I know. But, I gotta say, I don't really know much about him. But his story is interesting, <laughs> where he just like fucking went on a suicide mission because uh, he thought he would kind of like break the firewall, you know? Yeah, like, he thought he would be the tip of the spear, and like watching the powers that be just like rat fuck him and everyone else, you know, who who even stepped a little, you know, same thing with like Newsom, Pritzker, Whitmer, you know, those people were all sniffing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like that shit just got fully shut down and there was so much out there on the table for people to pick up and like but I think again it was like it was just this feeling of like well no Biden's the incumbent and like yeah. reporting on that would be would be silly which is such a would- funny <laughs> mirror to the way that the press was handling a lot of the stuff about Hillary when you go back into 2016, 2015 yeah. there was a sort of sense of well we don't want to report on some of this stuff 
because it might give too much ammunition. And then afterwards, a big sort of like, well, maybe that was wrong that we had done (laughs) that and we should do it. You know what I mean? And so we're kind of back to where we were. Yeah, totally. Um, But with, it seems like, you know, Brace, as you keep saying, like with people getting more and more collectively insane. Mm Mm-hmm. I just want everyone to be normal. <laughs> I just that's I just but that's not going to happen. Well, what does this look like moving forward? What's your sense of how this looks like moving forward? I mean, I guess not just at the times, but like in terms of reporting on the war on Gaza. Like do you feel any kind of mainstream shift happening or Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, I think yeah, I think that this whole subject is is never going to look the same mm. in reporting. I think like you just have a base of people. You know, you look at the the polling on like Democrats who mm-hmm. who think that Israel is committing genocide. It's like I, I think like the last poll I th- saw, I think is like seventy percent or something. Jesus Christ! Like you have you have a you we've undergone like a full scale realignment in yeah. in opinion on this. It is pretty shocking. Um, yeah, just for, in my lifetime, seeing no, it's like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the kind of sea change that's and, happened. And so, my question is also like not just about this subject, but like, what does this look like for other, for for other, um, you know, conflicts or or just mm. any other news event where you just have this kind of uh, eyes on the ground, like mass information um, distribution. That's the other just interesting piece to me is like I feel like a leg of of legacy media has just gotten knocked out where you've just seen like a you've seen like a almost populist yeah force of mm. of, of opinion change yeah I do think that some of that is particular to this to like the invasion of Gaza and that like everyone in Gaza was just the people there reaching for whatever they could which a huge weapon of theirs was social media and getting as much footage out and that they were, because of how long the blockade has been, because of how, you know, it's hard, you know, it's very difficult to even find the words to describe the situation in Gaza pre the invasion. Yeah. Um, How the level of destitution and like depravity, but it's, that's not the same in other like conflicts, yeah, conflict totally. zone is the wrong word, but in other kind of Wait, it's a unique it's place. It's a very in the unique world. place yeah. and yeah. a very unique situation that has kind of acted as a catalyst for all of these other things kind of exploding um, in their own way. You mentioned before we started you have a story about Seymour Hirsch, and I'd like you to elaborate yeah. well, on Well, so uh, I wanted to mention his uh, article from a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, when I, First moved to D.C. and I was trying to crowdsource information. I showed up to Sai's house unannounced and he basically told me to get the fuck off of his lawn and mm. send him an email or a phone call like a normal person. To be fair, you got to show up three times before he lets you in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I got two more in the two more in the pocket. But uh, he, on his Substack, he, he had a piece about when he was at the Times um, and he was he was trying to report a story that that was going to rely on U.S. intelligence sources and he was coming up blank. So he asked someone in the office. Um, I guess what to do, and they recommended this uh, Israeli ambassador by the name of Netanyahu. <laughs> um, so he calls up Netanyahu and he he tells him what he's looking for, and you know they have a conversation and it's very pleasant. And the next day, 
uh, satellite images of chemical weapons in Berlin, classified intelligence information shows up uh, at Hirsch's desk at the time. Uh, somehow that floated under under the radar, which is surprising given the current moment. But I think it also gets at a piece of uh, how the New York Times functions sometimes. That must have been when uh, Netanyahu was living in Philadelphia cheating on his Jewish wife <laughs> with a goy. <laughs> Just which is just it's just interesting. Little hot tip from Brace to the rest. It's true. It's he was. It's proven in fact. He was doing that. He was he was pumping away at a goy. Um, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. This was a, a lot of fun. Uh, I would recommend if you want more on, especially the first part about the times, the recent article that you co-wrote with Ryan Grimm in the Intercept uh, about uh, about the the October seventh you know rape attack. Article, but really, a lot of the stuff of it is most of the articles about the camera, uh, which should be a huge scandal. I mean, I, I don't know, huge, but a, a pretty big scandal. Um, I, I really recommend that our, our listeners check that out. That will link that at the bottom here. Um, and thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm about to fly to Chicago, and boy, are my what kind of juice lips is that? tired. What are you beet talking juice? about? Oh, it's called Rockin' Beet. I got beet, carrot, apple, lemon, ginger, Rockin' Beet, <laughs> and I drank half of it because that got me That's too That's not zooted. half, baby. That's a third. That's almost exactly half. What do you think? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe you guys are definitely never letting you guys do my beer. I think it's great. You're very optimistic. I don't. If you drink too much juice, you get too hypey, or because of the sugar. Because of the sugar. Yeah, er. a little sugar. Yeah, but I'm probably gonna drink the rest of this on the motherfucking plane, so I can get up and vape in the bathroom. And you know that I'm vaping straight fentanyl. I am going to cause a scene and have a viral video of someone hitting me with that motherfucking Narcan, and then I go, and I come back to life like a vampire, and then I start biting people, and then. Bam, viral news story that fentanyl now makes you into the undead. Like Dracula. That's a great plan. I'm Liz. I love you. My name is Brace. We're joined, of course, by producer Jan Chomsky, and the podcast is called... True and on. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>